Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Talk about being made free from sin in John 8, verse 32. You can only be set free from sin by the truth, not following false teaching. So in religion, two plus two is either four or five. Both answers are not right. Only the truth will set us free from sin. Tonight, while we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about the four types of death that we read about in the New Testament. There's, there may be some other types of death in the New Testament that I hadn't thought of, but there's at least four different types of death. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The definition of death is not when the heart stops beating. That person's not necessarily dead when the heart stops beating. I mean, you can shock them back in, uh, back, back, and get the heart start beating again. The definition of death in the Bible is when the spirit leaves the body. The separation of our body or our spirit from our body. That's physical death. Death always involves a separation. And the four types of death we're going to talk about tonight are physical death, spiritual death, also the separation of us from the old law, Dead, we're dead to the law, Romans 7, 4, and then we're dead unto sin, Romans chapter 6, meaning we separate ourselves from sin. We repent of our sins and start living differently. Marto from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, sir. My name is Marco, like you say. And I have a question about James and the book of James uh, chapter 2, verse 20. that says that faith with, with, without works is nothing. Yep, James 2.20 says, without, oh, faith without works is dead. It says pretty much the same thing in verse 17, verse 26, and in verse 24, it says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Go ahead, Marto. Yes, because I've been learning with Paul and all his other books, is that we say by grace and faith plus nothing minus nothing. No works, no nothing. We're saved by faith, by grace. I've been learning that. I've been studying that. I'm a, I'm a, not, I'm not a very old Christian. I'm uh, recently okay. accepted, not recently, but maybe like five, seven years ago. And I've been studying Paul. It's in my head, embedded in my head. And when I read that, oh, it threw me off guard. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I'm like a so, post life. I mean, wondering so, so, in the scene now. Marto, they have. There's a lot of teachers out there that say that you're saved by faith only. But guess what? The Bible never says that one time. It says in James 2.24, you quoted verse 20, which is a very good verse to prove it wrong. Yep. Verse 24 yep. of James 2 says, ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So a lot of preachers are saying you're saved by faith only, but God says you're saved not by faith only. It's also by works. So all these preachers, oh. and it's, it could be 80% of them, they all contradict God. They don't care. They're just going to go ahead and teach what they want to teach, even though it directly contradicts what the Bible says. Now, when this verse in James 2.24 and James 2.20, the one you quoted, faith without works is dead. But when verse 24 says you're saved by works and not by faith only, it's not saying that the works or the faith is the thing that actually does the trick. It's the death of Christ, Marco. The blood of Christ is what actually pays for our sins. That's not what it's talking about. When it says you're saved by works, not by faith only. It's not talking about what earns your salvation, the, gr the grounds or the basis for it. No, the death of Christ is that. When you believe in Christ, that doesn't earn your salvation. It's just a condition, Marto, you have to meet to be saved by the death of Christ. The death of Christ is what earns it. And 
your obedience does not earn your salvation. No, your the, the thing that earns your salvation is the death of Christ. The obedience is just a condition you have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. And that's why Hebrews 5, 9 says this, Marto, talking about Jesus. He says he became the author or the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So you cannot receive eternal salvation without obeying Christ. It takes more than just faith. As the famous hymn says, Marto, it takes trust and obey to be pleasing to God. Any follow-up, Marto? You bring up a good point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, sir. And then, and yes, I, I know that. I know that I have to follow him. I have to pick up my cross and follow him. Um, I, would ju- I just read that right now. But, uh, but like I say, not the preachers. I, I ask the Holy Spirit to be my, my spiritual guidance, to open my spiritual understanding, my comprehension. And I want to draw close to you. Please teach me, Holy Spirit. And then, uh, and then that's what I've been studying. And, and I, I know that uh, Romans, uh, Corinthians, First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 4. That's the gospel right there. By the the by Holy Jesus Spirit. That's what I believe. Marto, the, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Through the word of God. Ephesians Amen. 6, 17 says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So back before we had guns, the tool of, mm-hmm. of the soldier was the sword before we had guns. So when it says the sword of the spirit is the word of God, it's saying the tool of the Holy Spirit is the word of God. So the way the Holy Spirit's going to teach us is through the word of God. Mm-hmm. And the word of God says faith without works is dead three times in James 2. It says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only, James 2.24. That's the Holy Spirit like Spirit, talking to us through the word of God. If somebody tells mm-hmm. you you're saved by faith only, then they're just contradicting what the Holy Spirit says. Mm. Marto, thank you for your good call, okay? No, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Have a good day, evening. Yes. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655. 6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So we're talking about death, the four types of death. And we saw from James 2.26 that death is the separation of our spirit from our body. Let's talk about what happens at physical death. But we'll try to take this call first. Neil from North Dakota, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, separating the new and old covenant, did the new covenant begin in the beginning of Matthew, or did it begin at the end of Matthew? Well, we can read about this this new covenant, for example, in Hebrews chapter 8. This is not the only place, but Hebrews 8. Verse 8 says, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So there's a new covenant, a new agreement. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17 says that this covenant does not come into effect until after the death of the testator. Verse 16 and 17 says, For where a testament is, Neil, there must also be the necessity the death of the testator, for a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. My parents had a will. They left all their possessions to their four sons, and I'm one of those four sons. But it didn't go into effect until after the death of both my parents. You follow what I'm saying, Neil? 
Yeah, yeah, yes, they do. So the new covenant went into effect after the death of the testator, after Jesus Christ. So Acts 2 is when the new covenant went into effect. But when we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is on the earth. And a lot of what he says is he's teaching what is going to be true in the new covenant, the law of Christ. Now, he does spend some time talking about the law of Moses, what was in effect, you know, through all those centuries from the time of Moses to Christ. But he spends quite a bit of his time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking about what the new covenant is going to be like. For example, in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, he brings up six contrasts. He basically says six times, you've heard it said by them of old time, but I send you. And each time he quotes from the Old Testament what the Old Testament said, and then he gives his New Testament law, which is going to be in, be, become effective on, in Acts chapter 2 after his death. Six times he right. said, this is what the Old Testament law so, says, but I say unto you, and then he gives his New Testament law. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for the most part, is him him teaching what his New Covenant law was going to be like. And then the New Covenant went into effect in Acts chapter 2. According to Luke twenty four forty seven. repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name beginning in Jerusalem. That's talking about Acts chapter 2. Does all that make sense, Neil? Yeah, but being the the new covenant started after his death, burial, and resurrection, right? Jesus was talking to the Jew during his earthly ministry, and we're not under that covenant. No, we're not. But I want you to notice there are many passages like this one. I'm looking uh, at Matthew, for example. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 4, 23. What that's saying is that even though the Old Testament law was in effect while Jesus was living, what he spent a lot of his time doing was preaching what the new covenant would be like. Let me give you a silly illustration to help you understand my point. Suppose, America, we drive on the right side of the road, right? Yep. Europe, they drive on the left. Suppose we decided, America, we're going to all start driving on the left side of the road like they do in Europe, and we're going to start on January 1st, 2024. Do you think that that, that they, uh, the government would just put up a bunch of billboard signs at, at 11 p.m. on December 31st, 2023, saying start driving on the left side of the road in an hour? Or do you think they might start publicizing the thing all the way throughout this year saying January 1st, 2024? We're going to all start driving on the left side of the road and start putting up the signs, you know, months ahead of time, trying to get people ready for it, telling them what we're going to do starting at the beginning of next year. What do you think, Neil? Well, there'd be some time before it would Yeah, they would, they would tell us ahead of time that this is what they're going to do, months ahead of time if they were smart. And so... Yeah, that's what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. The new covenant, his new covenant was going to go into effect after his death. But he spent we don't really know how many years Jesus's ministry was. A lot of people guess three years. If it was three years, then he spent most of his three years talking about what that new covenant was going to be like. So most of what you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, he's teaching new covenant law. Okay. well, I I think Jesus said. I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And that's yep. what he did. To we're yep. no longer under that. 
His right. earthly ministry was to the Jew. And right, but uh, well, great. but see what you the verse you quoted did not come did not follow your did not lead to your conclusion. The verse you quoted it says he came to fulfill it, and so the law would pass when he fulfilled it. And then you said his earthly ministry was to the Jew, but that didn't. That's not what Matthew five seventeen and eighteen said. Didn't say his earthly ministry was to the Jew. No, what we read in Matthew four twenty three is that he was going to come preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So most of what he preached was about the kingdom, the new covenant law. That's what the verses say. His his ministry was to everybody, Jew and Gentile. He was teaching what the new covenant was going to be like. Now, did he talk about the Old Testament law? Some. Yes, he did. But most of the time, he's talking about what the New Testament law is going to be. Like, for example, I'm give you another example, Neil. Matthew 5, 31 and 32, it says, he says, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, that's a quote from Deuteronomy 24, 1. He's quoting that, Neil. Right. Deuteronomy 24, 1. Yep. Then he says in verse 32, yep. but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whoever... Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Now, that's New Testament law. The Old Testament law said you can divorce your spouse for reasons like uncleanness. That's Deuteronomy 24.1, and he quotes that in verse 31. But he says, but I say unto you, he says, I'm only going to allow divorce in the New Covenant for fornication. So he's teaching New Covenant law in Matthew 5.32. And most of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's teaching new covenant law for the same reason the U.S. government would tell us ahead of time that we're going to all start driving on the left side of the road starting January 1st, 2024. If, if they were going to change the law on January 1st, 2024, they'd probably already be telling us right now. They probably would have started a year ago telling us. It's called preparatory yeah. teaching, and that's that's what Jesus did. Most of his teaching, not all of it, most of his teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was what the new covenant's going to be like. And so the new covenant went into effect in Acts chapter 2, and that's the law we're under today, Neil. Do you agree? <laughs> we're, we're under grace now. I, I... Oh, yeah, we're under grace, but that doesn't mean we're not under law. Grace and law well, are not know, contrasted you, in the Bible. You quote, you quote Matthew 19, 9. Um, yep. What if what if somebody's in abusive relationship and they have to get out of that? Does right, that let's, mean let's, they can't get married again? So let's think about this. Are we going to decide what's right and wrong by what Jesus says or by our own human reasoning? Which one are we going to do, Neil? Well, like I said before, he was talking to the Jews, specifically to the Pharisees who thought they were justified by the law. But Neil, what, just strict the law was. What he's doing in Matthew five thirty one and thirty two, he's talking to the Jew and he's saying, "My law on divorce and remarriage is different than Deuteronomy twenty four one." Here's what Deuteronomy twenty four one says in verse thirty one, and in thirty two he says, "My law on divorce and remarriage is different than that. It's only going to be for the cause of fornication." And so the answer is to my question. I know, love you, Neil, but you didn't answer it. The answer is we decide what's right and wrong by what Jesus says not by what we think. So we can't say, well, if a person's abused, that means they can't remarry anymore. So you're trying to decide, with all due respect, Neil, you're trying to decide what's right and wrong with religion by what Neil thinks. That's how That was your approach. What are we going to do if they're abused? You mean you're saying they can't remarry? So 
You're going by what Neil thinks is best. Instead of having complete devotion and love for Christ, and if you have complete commitment to Christ, you're going to say, I'm going to teach and believe exactly what Jesus says no matter what. He says if you divorce your spouse for any reason other than fornication, any reason, and remarry, you commit adultery. It doesn't matter whether Jesus is not going to ask your opinion. He's not going to say, I'm only going to say this if Neil agrees. He says what he says, and he expects Neil to comply. It's not Neil gets to decide, and Neil is saying, well, if you're abused, it's okay to remarry, and Jesus is going to comply to Neil. No, it's the other way around. Neil should comply to Jesus Christ, and Jesus makes it crystal clear in Matthew 9, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9 that if you divorce your spouse for any reason other than fornication and marry again, you commit adultery. And, of course, repentance is going to demand you get out of that second marriage if you do that. You can't just say, I'm sorry, and stay in that adulterous marriage. Of course, most churches, of course, they've compromised. They don't really care what Jesus says. They're just going to do what they think is right, and so they're going to allow divorce and remarriage for reasons other than fornication. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. Now, we're talking about the four types of death. The first is physical death. What happens at physical death? Well, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 7. Let me try to read that to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So at death, our our body goes back to dust, but the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And then let's look at Genesis 2.17. That'll help us understand a little bit about death. Genesis 2.17, Jesus, excuse me, God says to Adam, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, so he says, the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. Did Adam and Eve, when they ate of that, did they die physically that day? No, they did not. They didn't die physically that day. He must be talking about spiritual death. Remember, death is a separation. Their, their body and their spirit did not separate that day. But what did they separate from? Their spirit was separated from God. That's spiritual death. So Genesis 2.17 is talking about spiritual death, the separation of their spirit from God. That's how they died the day that they ate of the forbidden fruit. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give me a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. And then in Genesis 3, 22 through 24, we're going to see that they, even though they died spiritually that day, the day they ate of the forbidden fruit, they did begin to physically die that day. They didn't die physically, but they began to die physically because Genesis 3 shows that they were, they were driven out of the garden and lost access to the tree of life, which is as long as they could partake of the tree of life, they were going to live physically forever. Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So because of his sin, Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. They lost access to the tree of life. And therefore, you might say they became mortal. Before that, they could access the tree of life and live physically forever. But they lost that eternal physical life when they were driven out of the garden. Now they're subject to physical death. They didn't die physically when they ate. They died spiritually when they ate. They were separated from God. But they did begin to die physically because they were lost access to the tree of life. But they died physically because they accessed, lost access to the tree of life. But that people do not die spiritually because of Adam's sin. Adam's sin led to his own spiritual death, but not our spiritual death. That's where people get confused. They think, oh, little babies are born guilty of sin, and they die spiritually. They're born, in effect, dead spiritually because of Adam's sin. Nothing can be further from the truth. Let me read to you Ezekiel 18, verse 20. It says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. It's almost like God anticipated that the Catholics and the Calvinists would teach this false teaching that babies are born guilty of Adam's original sin. So he put this verse in there, in there to counteract it. He says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. We don't die spiritually because of Adam's sin. No, the soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. I don't die spiritually because of my father's sin. Seth didn't die physically, spiritually because of Adam's sin. We don't die spiritually because of Adam's sin. According to this, we die spiritually because of our own sin. That should be clear, but people don't want to preach what the Bible clearly says. They want to preach what they want the truth to be. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. If you, have, if you want to get on the air, the lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. Lamar from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, I was calling to ask about uh, the, the name of Satan. Well, okay, we can barely hear you, Lamar, but I think I heard your question. What is the name for Satan? Well, how about this? In Matthew 12, 24, he, the Pharisees accused Jesus. He said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So I think that's saying that the name of Satan is Beelzebub. Okay? And of course, they had a false accusation that Jesus was casting out demons by, that by, by Satan, but it's wrong. He's, in verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan and he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? So I think Jesus is saying, definitely not. You're absolutely wrong. I'm not casting out devils by the power of Satan, by, by Beelzebub, prince of the devil. So Beelzebub looks like he's, that's the name of Satan, Lamar. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. Can you tell me why? Mickey from Michigan. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, I was just going to speak on the uh, issue with the sin being passed on from Adam 
And I believe the Bible does show that that is the case, that the entire humanity was plunged under the law of sin and death because of Adam. And I I believe with children, it it is uh, basically the grace of God that he. So we're going to read. We only got a minute left. So I'm going to read a couple of verses here that prove this is absolutely false. Ecclesiastes 729. Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man or mankind upright, but they have sought up many inventions. So we do not die spiritually because of Adam's sin. This verse makes it clear that God makes man upright. And the reason we're not upright is because we sin. Same thing in Romans 5, 12. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death didn't pass upon all men because Adam sinned. Romans 5.12 said death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So the Bible says over and over and over again that we die spiritually because of our own sin. The Catholics and the Calvinists keep preaching over and over. No, we die spiritually because of Adam's sin, but they can't back it up. It's not in the Bible. They just made that up. If you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Thank you.